As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave, and I lay down in that place to sleep. As I slept, I dreamed a dream. And in this dream, I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. Well, if you want to know how to write the opening lines of a book that will be a bestseller for the ages, uh, that's exactly how you do it right there. Sure is. And I loved listening to you read that. That's fantastic. Of course, you're going to need more than a good opening line or a good opening paragraph. Really, you need a masterpiece to follow it. And that's what Pilgrim's Progress is, a thrilling tale of a pilgrim named Christian as he makes his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city of heaven. Yeah, it's a travel narrative, so you can think of Lord of the Rings uh, minus Tom Bombadil. And it's a tale of two cities, uh, like the Dickens novel. It's a tale of two cities. He goes from the city of destruction to the celestial city of Christ. And we're devoting this episode and the following four episodes to themes that pop up in the book called Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're Right now, you've got your fingers poised to pause or exit this screen and go to something else, skip this whole episode and this whole series. Well, don't even think of that. Even if you know nothing about Pilgrim's Progress, even if you think Pilgrim's Progress was a book written by Paul Bunyan, who had a blue ox named Babe, and that the Slough of Despond was formed by one of Babe's hoof prints, this series is still for you. Probably especially for you. Uh-huh, yeah. So uh, hopefully I've got one extra minute of your time um, by that little effort to convince you. And here's just a few other things to think about. Did you know that that opening line where Bunyan, where John Bunyan, falls asleep in a cave, did you know that that refers to 12 very difficult years in which he lay in Bedford Prison in England for preaching the gospel? And did you know that Bunyan wrote at least the first draft of this book in that prison? That's pretty impressive, writing a literary masterpiece in a nasty 17th century prison. And he first called this masterpiece his little scribble. And some of his friends actually thought that he should never publish it. And there was a time, according to C.J. Lovick, when preachers regularly illustrated their points in their sermons with stories from Pilgrim's Progress. I know Charles Spurgeon loved to do it. Yeah, but sadly, now only one in 20 Christians know Pilgrim's Progress. And, and so we got to change that right here. What if you listened to this and you became so interested in Pilgrim's Progress that you started listening to or, or reading the book for yourself? And then, what if you enjoyed that so much that you read it through every year of your life for the rest of your life? And what if this actually transformed your life? And what if one day you yourself find yourself in the celestial city and you meet John Bunyan on one of those streets of gold he loved to talk about, and you told him how that little scribble he wrote when he was in jail for the gospel, how it helped you progress as a pilgrim through this wilderness world on your way to glory and Christ. Yeah, it's very appealing what you've just described, Mike. So surely you've convinced at least a couple more people to join in, but you better move fast now before we lose them. Okay, so in this week's reading, uh, and just a reminder, you can go to the website and get a schedule of what to read each week. But in this week's reading, Christian begins his quest. He leaves the city of destruction and there's lots of action. He's uh, running for the sheep gate or this narrow wicket gate to, to get saved. And his family runs out to try and stop him. Two other guys try to stop him. A worldly wise man comes out and he tries and, and at first succeeds in stopping him. And then there's this terrifying mountain of Sinai. 
But finally he gets through the wicket gate, the sheep gate, he's saved. And just for a bit, there's a lull in the story. And this is what Bunyan does over and over in Pilgrim's Progress. He has this heart racing action, and then he slows it down so we can learn and reflect on what's happened. And in this lull after the sheep gate, Christian comes to the house of the interpreter. Now, I just love this about Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan, he doesn't stop the story to preach at us a bunch of lessons like some Christian novels I used to read when I was a boy. It used to annoy me there'd be this great story and then, and then the writer would pause the story and kind of preach at me a bit and, and I tended to skip those sadly. <clears throat> but, but no, Bunyan doesn't do that. He takes us into an interpretive center, the house of the interpreter. You know how uh, Adventures in Odyssey has the imagination station. I sure do. And the kids in Odyssey, they go in there and they learn all kinds of valuable lessons about faith and life and, and so on. Well, Bunyan's way ahead of Odyssey's imagination station. He came up with the interpretation station. Yeah, and the interpreter welcomes him into the interpretation station and takes him into all these different rooms. I think there's seven different ones in all. And in each room, the interpreter shows Christian excellent things that will help him on his journey. And they are excellent helps, but we'll just have time to maybe look at the first four of them. Uh, But let's just pause and and realize how exciting this is. For the first time ever, the Practicology Podcast goes on a journey into the interpretation station. And so we're going to learn four things that will help us on our pilgrimage. Here they are in outline. Number one, when it comes to pastors, faithful over flashy. When it comes to purity, grace over law. When it comes to pleasure, patience over passion. And when it comes to perseverance, weakness over strength. So let's start with number one. When it comes to pastors, faithful over flashy. Our first stop in the interpretation station is to uh, go into this private room, like a private art gallery room. And there's a picture on a wall of a very grave looking person. His eyes are lifted to heaven. He has a Bible in his hands truth on his lips, the world is behind his back, and a golden crown hung over his head. And it's a picture of a true, reliable pastor or shepherd or elder. Now, Christian has just run into worldly wise men. Worldly wise men has lots of pizzazz. He's flashy and colorful and eminently respectable in this world. But when Christian took worldly wise men's attractive counsel, to just live a good life and avoid the cross and the gospel, it almost led to his eternal ruin. And Bunyan probably has his own situation in England in mind at this point, right? I mean, there were there were lots of men in his day who had licenses to, to preach in England. They were fine-looking men and fine-sounding men, and they're very respectable in the world's eyes, but they did not preach the gospel. Think about 1 Corinthians 1. The world wasn't behind them. It was in front of them. It characterized them. Yeah, and it's similar today. Uh, The world is just chock full of spiritual influencers, famous Christian speakers and writers and pastors. And how will we know? I mean, this is such a critical question for us pilgrims on the way. How will we know which ones to listen to? Which ones should we take counsel from? And which ones should we ignore their counsel? The interpreter wants to burn this image into our minds of the faithful Christian mentor, the faithful Christian leader and elder and pastor and shepherd. He says, <clears throat> he says to Christian, I have shown you this picture first because the man whom it represents is the only man authorized by the Lord of the place where you are going 
to be your guide in all the difficult places you will encounter on the way. So he says to Christian, keep this picture foremost in your mind so that if you meet with someone who doesn't resemble this picture's likeness, but who pretends to lead you in the right way, you will not follow him down to destruction. And you're maybe tempted to name some names there, I suppose, Mike, but uh, we can think of different famous people who may sell out book print runs, they sell at arenas even, but perhaps they deny the physical resurrection of Christ. Or people who speak from the Bible, and yet they're in the midst of compromising what the Bible says about maybe sexuality. So we need to remember the words of New Testament authors. They warn us repeatedly about false teaching and the danger of being taken in by the flashy over the faithful. I think of Paul's words in Romans 16, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. So, yes, number one, when it comes to pastors, when it comes to who you'll choose to take guidance from and counsel, choose faithful over flashy every time. Someone can have a huge social media following, be incredibly clever, have a powerful persona, but do they point you to the cross? Do they have the truth written on their lips? That's what you need to go for. Secondly, when it comes to purity, choose grace over law. Next, interpreter takes Christian by the hand and leads him into a large parlor full of dust. Maybe you could picture a, a big shops class at your school that never gets cleaned. And the, the table saws and band saws have been used to cut wood for years and there's sawdust everywhere. So interpreter calls in a man to start sweeping up the place. But when he does, the dust starts flying around so much that poor Christian nearly chokes. Well, that's not working. So interpreter calls in a damsel, and she sprinkles the room with a little bit of water and then easily sweeps the place up. No dust in the air, no Christian choking to death anymore. Yeah, and because he's not choking, he's able to actually ask the interpreter a question. He says, what does this all mean? Well, interpreter is good at interpreting things. So he says, the room, the parlor, is the human heart. The dust is original sin. It's our inward corruption. And the first man to come along and try to clean the place up with his broom, that represents the law. But the damsel, uh, taking the aquatic approach, she's the gospel. And so here's the point. When it comes to our indwelling sin, the law actually makes it worse, right? It stirs up our sin. It makes it more sinful and potent. Paul talks about this at great length in Romans 7. He says, for a while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That's Romans 7 verse 5. So the commandments, they come along and they actually revive our indwelling sin nature. And so what's the way then to experience purity and cleansing from sin? It's not through the law, but it's through grace. Here's how Interpreter puts it. He says, you saw the damsel clear the dust from the room by sprinkling the floor with water. This shows how sin is vanquished and subdued, and the soul made clean through faith, and consequently fit for the king of glory to inhabit. Bunyan is so biblical all through this story, and here is, is obvious once again. It's like Peter, in Acts chapter 15, he talks about Gentile believers and says that God cleansed their hearts by faith. Yeah, and this looks back at worldly wise men again. He told Christian the way to get rid of his awful burden on his back, which represents his sense of sin. Well, he said, oh, the way to get rid of that, you just need to go see the man named Legality, who lives in the town of Morality. In other words, 
Worldly Wiseman's telling Christian, just keep the law, live a good, respectable life, do good works, obey and obey. But when Christian tries this route, his burden only gets worse. It's like me sweeping up my garage at times. Uh, you get flying around there with a big broom, and it's not even safe to be in there. There's so much dirt and dust filling the air. Well, what's the true way to have our hearts cleansed? It's through grace, not law. It's through trusting, not trying. Receiving, not achieving. Enjoying, not earning. It seems counterintuitive, but it's true. And if I could just quote another verse from Paul, Romans 7 verse 6, he says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I love that text. And so you're teaching us that when it comes to purity, it's grace over law. The law is only going to make things worse. Not, not that the law is bad, we should clarify that, but because our hearts are so weak and sinful, because sin is so sinful, as Romans 7 so powerfully explains. Mm-hmm, yeah, so then number three, our third lesson from the interpreter, is when it comes to pleasure, patience over passion. Choose patience over passion. So now Interpreter takes Christian to this little room with two children. One is named pa Passion, and the other is named Patience. And of course, Passion, he wants his treasure and pleasure now. He's not willing to wait. Well, Patience is willing to wait. Passion represents the people of this world who want all their good things now. And Patience represents those who are willing to wait uh, for the world to come to get satisfaction. And this is a crucial lesson for all of us to learn and to relearn. Uh, we tend to want our best life now, to quote the copy of a best-selling supposedly Christian book. But true Christianity is to patiently wait for our best life then. Exactly, yeah. We, we live in an insta-culture, uh, instant food, instant fame, instant information Hey, our, our microwave went on the blink a couple weeks ago, and it's been a big adjustment for us to uh, cook a little slower sometimes. But, but this isn't about microwave popcorn versus whatever is the opposite of microwave popcorn. This is about, will I insist on having my treasure and riches now, or am I willing to wait for the life to come? Am I wanting my glory now in this world or in the world to come? Our sexual desires, do we insist, I'm going to have them met immediately, or are we willing to wait until they can be enjoyed within the parameters that have lovingly and wisely been set by, by our God? And in the event of someone who's never able to enjoy uh, the gift of sex within God's parameters in this life, are you, is he, is she, willing to wait for the life to come when all our desires will be infinitely fulfilled by the one these desires pointed to in the first place. Just reminds me of that Old Testament story of Jacob and Esau. And of course, Esau was willing to sell his birthright just to get some Insta food, right? Um, he, he, was, he was taking the very short view and was looking for immediate satisfaction, but failed to take into view the long view of things and, and be patient. Yeah, scripture that comes to my mind, Mike, is the end of... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And we, we constantly need 
that reminder again to take the long-term perspective to recognize that uh, well this is training time for reigning time and the glory is going to come the reward is going to come but in the meantime there are some hard choices to make but with grace from God we can make them and it's for eternal treasure we're seeking first the kingdom of God mm-hmm. amen well I love the final one that we're looking at today number four when it comes to perseverance weakness over strength so interpreter takes Christian into a room with a fireplace and Satan is continually throwing water on the fire. But no matter how much he does so, the flames grow larger and hotter. Why? What's going on? Well, the interpreter takes Christian to the other side of the wall. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ secretly funneling oil into the fire. Who is it who sustains our faith when the devil tries to destroy it? Who is the one keeping us as we go through trials and times of doubts? It is Christ himself. He's faithful in that. To quote interpreter, This is Christ who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, no matter what the devil tries to do. The gracious work that Christ is doing in the souls of his people only increases. Well, this is definitely my favorite of the seven lessons the interpreter gives to Christian here. And I think of Peter. I remember what Jesus said to him. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's Luke 22. Why didn't Peter's faith fail? Because Christ had prayed for him. Christ had sustained him. Christ had fed the fire of his faith with the oil of his grace. But notice, Christian, back to, back to Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had to go behind the wall to see Christ doing this. You see, when we're in the trial, all we can see is Satan's work. He's very obvious. He's in front of us, pouring the cold water on our faith. It wouldn't be so bad if we could see Christ right next to him, feeding our faith and countering his every move, uh, feeding our faith with, with his grace to counter the devil. But we don't see that. It's hard for the one being tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. And I'm sure there's someone listening to you right now, Mike, and they're going through a trial, and it's very hard, and they're wondering how they're going to get through it. And they're thinking, I don't know if my faith can sustain this attack. Well, I want you to know this, dear believer. Christ himself is personally tending to your faith. He will preserve you. He's holding on to you and ministering to you. And that's not just your word, Matthew. That's our Lord's word, right? He gave us his word. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Why? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's John 6, 37 to 40. Mike, we've been talking about interpreters' lessons to Christian. Maybe you could interpret something for us. Who, who is interpreter in this allegory? Do we need an interpreter to tell us who the interpreter is? <laughs> well, I think you're likely thinking the same thing as me, Matthew. Uh, for Bunyan, the interpreter represents the Holy Spirit. And this illustrates the Holy Spirit's gracious work in our lives. He, he, he works, he serves us by teaching us things and showing us things that will sustain our faith in our hour of need. Excellent. Amen. So 
maybe we should wrap this episode up just by reading what Christian says at the end of that chapter. Here I have seen things rare and profitable, things pleasant and dreadful, things to give me stability and wisdom to deal with my tasks at hand. For showing me what I need to understand for the journey ahead, I thank you, good interpreter. And what gratitude we owe to our helper, our comforter, our guide, the Holy Spirit. And we want to learn the same lessons that Christian learned. Here they are again. When it comes to pastors, faithful over flashy. When it comes to purity, grace over law. When it comes to pleasure, patience over passion. When it comes to perseverance, weakness over strength. Amen. Thanks for summing that up for us, Matthew. Those of you who are going to read along with us here, this week you can read the part from where Christian gets to the cross and his burden falls off and all the way to the valley of humiliation and then the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, may you pick up on some lessons as you read, as we read these pages together. Amen.